Hi there, and welcome to a new episode of Impact Talks. Today we have Anthony Moss with us, the CEO of Ultima Driving Tours, a company that does some of the coolest things you can imagine. I can imagine that your job, Anthony, is one of the funnest to be in right now, especially as we're kind of going out of the pandemic and going into fun stuff. But tell the people what you do and where they might know you from. Yeah, well, thanks, Lever. Um, very nice to be to be present with you here today. Um, yeah, and look, they, these jobs always look fun. They always sound fun, don't they? Uh, you know, particularly, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of hard work that goes behind the scenes, but uh, we create extraordinary, uh, amazing journeys around the world uh, together with the motor vehicles. So we, uh, we bring together some of the best cars on earth, and then we go and drive them in locations where they should be driven. So beautiful roads in Europe, um, scenic vistas in the US, uh, amazing locales down in Australia, you know, anywhere in the world where you can drive a, a beautiful motor vehicle uh, in the environment which they were built for. That's pretty much what our company does. And then we bring together uh, some of the world's best hotels, some of the world's best uh, food and dining, um, uh, wineries, anything you can think of that's uh, at a luxury level. So yeah, it's definitely a lot of fun. And it's something that we've, um, we've, we've sort of really created and, and built and we still are um, over the past 15 years. So I think the first key element there is the fact that you've been doing it for 15 years, which I think will be very interesting as we delve into your story. I think the first thing that I was wondering and I think anybody who's starting a business wonders is how do you get into something like that? A lot of people do certain jobs, want to start a business. And of course, a lot of them want to, you know, rent Lamborghinis and Ferraris and travel around the best restaurants in Europe. But how do you even get started? What were the origin stories? Were you an entrepreneur before this? Did you have concepts that failed before this? Was this something that you kind of fell into can you describe the beginning yeah i mean lots of questions there yeah everything is uh you know i can answer um you know that yeah i was i mean I, and i have uh pretty much i think the, the key is with with any business and any idea that you have is to start with the passion you know you, you can't you can't spend an amount of time building a business if you don't have a passion for the for the product or the service or what you're trying to create and i think that for me when I was in my late teens, sort of growing up, going through high school, I always always dreamt about cars. I mean, I had this passion for cars. I don't know where it came from. It didn't come from my family. They went into it. They went into racing or cars or anything. And, you know, I didn't know where it came from. And then, you know, I spent my school years dreaming about these cars. And, uh, you know, when I was able, when I was 17 years old, I was able to buy, you know, my, my, my dream car at the time, which was just an old, an old uh, Ford Falcon in Australia. And, you know that was a lot of fun, and I, I, I you know, pulled the car apart, my friends, and we we modified it and did all the crazy things you do when you're a kid. And then, you know, I had these friends that were going out to race circuits, and I, I sort of asked, "Well, what do you do out there?" And you know, we go and drive the these circuits and drive really fast and you know have fun. And I, I I thought that was amazing, so I got involved with this group, and we um we went out, and we we rented these racing circuits uh, around Sydney, Australia, where where I grew up, and. Uh, you know, so it all started from there. And then it was sort of uh, me and, you know, three or four people, three or four friends. And then we sort of invited other people. And then we thought, well, why don't we bring a few people in and 
charge them a fee to go there. And then eventually that progressed to us doing some um, some sort of tarmac rallies uh, called in, in Australia where they were a bit of fun. It was very amateur motorsport where you sort of go somewhere for a weekend and they, they book a circuit and a race tra- and a and a, a driving centre or an airport or something like that. And they do all these time trials and testing and things like that. And, you know, I loved it so much that I sort of um, opened my big mouth and said to the organiser one day, well, you know, I, I think I can do one of these. And he said, well, if, if you want to do one, I, I'm happy to back you and we'll, we'll run one together. And that's kind of how my career started in, in, in proper events organising. And then we, we progressed that to run a a road rally which progressed around Australia, and at the time, between sort of 2003 and 2006, it was the it was the biggest uh, series in Australia for uh, tarmac rallies, and you know progressed from there. And then you know, as as things kept going like that, I just kept thinking bigger and bigger ideas. I wanted to go to Europe. I wanted to drive the the Nurburgring Nordschleife, and I wanted to go and see Spa Frankelsheim. I wanted to drive over a Swiss Alp and, you know, drive in Italy and do all these things that, uh, you know, look to be like, just how do you do this? And, and really it was just a point of, you know, me going, well, I'm going to book an air ticket, fly over from Australia and go and check this out and uh, see, see if I can do this. And, you know, I went there, loved it and thought this is something I can bring people to. So, you know, go, going very backwards from, from where it started, it, it just started with a passion. I didn't, I didn't think about running a business. I, I wasn't, entrepreneurial I didn't I didn't grow up with an entrepreneurial family or anything like that I mean they were uh, very very working class but very humble beginnings and uh, they, they all worked hard but uh, you know nothing was ever discussed about how to do that and when people come to me today and they say how, how do you how do you get involved with this I mean I think you've got to start very small you've got to start at the basic level and this is one of the challenges I think that everyone has today they see these successful people doing amazing things and they they want to they want to do that themselves, but you know you have to start at the beginning. You know this is really uh, you know there, there's not many get rich quick stories. Uh, you know that that kind of thing. Uh, you you really have to start at the building blocks and and progress from there. So pretty much an overnight success after fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> one of one of my favorite sayings: overnight success just taken just taken fifteen years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so what I love about your story is um, you started with a passion, you started growing, and then at one point you um, needed to acquire an event management skill set. Um, how is that different uh, from all of the, obviously you run a business now, but the initial skill set was not a business running, it was event management. How is that skill set different than running a business? What were kind of the first sort sort of skills that you were learning? What are some learning lessons in that first event that you did? Can you share a bit about that? Yeah, well, it's funny because you know when I, when I started thinking about the first event that I ran, which the official event, which is in two thousand and three, which was obviously longer than fifteen years ago. Um, you know, the ultimate drive, ultimate driving tour started then. But um, you know, really, I, I've been running events for over 20 years, in fact, probably even longer. I mean, I mean I'm uh, in, um, nearly 45 now. And uh, I remember when I was 15 and I worked at a local supermarket and I organized the, the Christmas party at the end of the year. And I, I just, at the time, I had no idea that, uh, you know, I was sort of, this could be a business or anything like that. I thought, well, this is kind of cool because I can charge people X amount. And then if I make a little bit of money, I'll, I'll get to go for free or something like that. So 
you know, look, starting off with a passion, like I said, is important. Um, but also, I don't think that it's important also to get carried away with, with what the business is all about. I mean, you, you really do need to, to always be thinking about the, the clients first and, you know, their experience. And I think that's what we've always done, particularly with, with Ultimate Driving Tours and now with our team here, which, which is now around the world, we, we think of the guests first, you know, we don't think about the business, we don't think about the steps to run it, we think, well, what's this, what's the client experience going to be? And how can I make the client experience better? You know, it's, it's kind of like the old Steve Jobs thing with Apple, you know, where they were thinking about, let's not make software and then sell it, let's think about what the clients want, and then we'll, we'll make something for them. And I think that's, that's kind of where we've really uh, done well, particularly in the last sort of three or four years where we've, we've expanded our team. And, you know, we, we don't think too much about the business side other than all the necessary things you need to think of now. We, we run an international business. We're in uh, three countries. We have uh, businesses in, in, in Australia, the US and in Europe. Uh, you know, so there's, there's a lot going on in the background. But uh, ultimately, what we do is we think about what, what, is, what is the best we can do for our clients, to, our, our guests, to have the, the best experience possible. But so, um, again, looking at the skill set of event management then at the beginning, what were you doing when you shifted away from experiencing those events to actually organizing it? Like, what were the first steps? Did you just pretty much call up a venue and invite all of your friends or was there more involved than that? Yeah, I mean, in the early days when we were running these tarmac rallies, there was a lot of stakeholders involved. I mean, you know, you had to speak to the local police, you had to speak to local councils, you had to book venues, all, all those things. I mean, there's a lot that goes into events that starts with, you know, just getting the necessary permissions in place to do that and going through a checklist. So yeah, that there is, there's a number, number of things you have to, to go through. And now we, we do that as a team. Uh, you know, we book hotels, we book, um, venues for lunches and dinners we uh we we drive the routes and then we drive them over again then we we test them then we 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 sort of say oh, how does this feel you know all, all those things so i think yeah that there's there's definitely a process that that you follow uh you know in, in in terms of putting these events together it's 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 very detailed um but really the details where you know we where it's where you become successful i, I guess in, in the points you have to have you have to be always thinking of those um, small points. You know, we we, we run a, a touring driving type uh, program where we, we might have 10, 12 cars in a fleet. So we need to find out, well, we'll you know, where are we going to pull over and do a driver change or, uh, you know, swap a car or stop for lunch? Or when we get to a hotel, what does the driveway look like? You know, how do we get these cars into the driveway? Is it suitable for us? You know, that these kind of little things that uh, you, you, you pretty much just have a checklist and now... As the business expands, I mean, we have people around the world that are that are writing checklists. Uh, might be for staff, for example, for event staff, where they have to they have to dress and look and speak a certain way um, towards the guests, and then they have to follow that that process. So, it's um, you know, as any business I think grows, you, you just keep creating processes. Um, you know, sometimes it's a little over my head, and I'm very lucky that I have uh, my my partner who works in the business and, and runs the operations side. Uh, she's she's right right up on that, which is which is which is excellent, and that's that's the other thing as well. You you need 
good people. I mean, this is this is something that you you can't do on your own. Um, any any good business you can't do on your own. You can't get it to that next level. You really need to start trusting people and uh, you know and and getting the right people involved and 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 just following on from there. So yeah, that that uh, probably be where my answer is on that one. Do you find uh, as you create these processes and checklists, uh, at one point you don't need to be in the business anymore to run it? The checklists are so detailed that people can just take it over. Is that possible with events that are so detailed? Well, it's definitely the case. Yeah, and, and it's, a, it's an interesting question because, you know, we've, uh, my partner Julie and I, we've, we've run the business together for, for nearly 10 years. And, you know, we're quite involved in the business, whether it's from the client level. I mean, these these guests become our friends you know we have friends all around the world that have come on tours they invite us into their homes and to stay with them you know which which is amazing and it really helps as you you know you're, you're traveling so much as well but um yeah i mean you um yeah you, you need to you need to ensure that um you know there's a certain level of professionalism um with that as well but you know as the business grows it's it you really need the right people to be involved you know if they're tour organizers or tour support people or uh, tour leaders as well so yeah the, the plan is for us um, over the next few years it's our next sort of it's the next um, progressive level for, for us for, for myself Julie and I who are the, the directors and owners of the business to to step back a little bit more and and have our um, to have some really good people around the world run run the tours and follow the process you know follow the the, the rule book and the um, you know the the list of things what they need to do and um, and also help us with it as well. We're not uh, you know we we always opening ourselves up to criticism, particularly from within. You know we're we're our, our own greatest critics, and if something you know goes wrong, we're the first to 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 put our hand up and say, well, hey, we need to do this better. You know we need to make this uh, a better experience. I guess uh, a question that I might have then, um, most of my experience, obviously just meeting you and a lot of friends that I have in Australia, um, they're very personal and direct. Um, there isn't much of the bureaucracy that you find in big companies in the Europe. Um, and so I guess my question is, as you progress and you scale, aren't you afraid, because you mentioned people have to dress a certain way, talk a certain way, aren't you afraid that they're going to become I know how to phrase it well, but I call it always like robotic. These people are like kind of fake, personal. I, I don't know how to explain, but do you know what I mean? Like where it's not, they're not really connecting. Do, are you afraid of that? Have you thought about that? Are you fixing that somehow? Am I afraid of it? No, uh, I, I think that, I mean, I'm afraid that people would become robotic, but I'm not afraid of giving people um, um, the tools where they can, where their real personalities to come in, out is because uh, I think that's that's the thing you know you there, there's good people out there um, you have to search sometimes to find them you know for, for any roles and um, you know one of the things I that gives me some comfort is that you know I have my my mother who's um, in her 70s now and she's she's been on um, tours you know these train journeys and other things you know that uh, you know people tend to go on which is great and you know one of the things that that I hear from her and other people, that um, oh, I went on this tour and the, the, the guide was amazing. She was so lovely and she just really made the trip. And that, that gives me some comfort because that's obviously what people say about us, um, which, which is great and we love that. And, um, 
but there's there's people out there who um, are probably better than us that, that what we do. I mean, yeah, like you said, Australians we're, we're pretty direct, pretty personable. Uh, we we like to call people mate and uh, give people nicknames and, and all those things. And uh, I, I know that's different because we, um, you know, one of the things that makes me laugh is my suppliers in Europe and my our director who's in, in Germany in Stuttgart. I, you know, I always open up a text message by hi mate. And he writes back, hi, mate, to me. And I, I know that they love that. <laughs> I know that he loves it, you know, which is, which is great because, you know, it's, 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 that's definitely part of being Australian. I mean, we're um, sometimes regarded in a negative light around the world maybe for being, being so direct. But, yeah, I, I'd like to instill – I think it's, it's instilling that uh, the feeling or the philosophy in, in the company that, that people can be themselves and people can be – you know, you, you don't need to be serious all the time. There's, there's definitely what we do. We, we, we're driving very powerful cars. Um, you need to speak um, seriously to people at times, you know, and that, that's, that's part of the business and we need people that, that are able to do that. But we also need people who are fun and, and people who this is meant to be, a, you know, you're an incredible week away or three, four, five days, however long you're, um, which particular tour you're doing. Uh, and just just enjoy it. And yeah, you need people who, you know, who aren't sort of school teachers, <laughs> you know, people who are running these tours who are who are there who who you want to you want to get to know. They're interesting people, and I, you know, I'm I'm um, absolutely confident we, we're already starting to find some of these tour leaders around the world that we're we're training up in these roles now. Um, obviously, we're getting a bit technical now into the business before we get even more technical, because uh, it is fascinating how you've built something that is so international. Um, I want to go more into the stories. Um, a lot of people are listening in and they probably assume they went on your website or something or haven't and just think, oh, you hire a couple of Lamborghinis and Ferraris and drive around Europe. Can you actually explain one of your most popular programs? Um, I, I haven't experienced it yet, but for me to kind of like imagine what actually is happening, um, how long are those programs, how many people show up, what kind of experiences are you guys doing? Do you have some stories to share? Yeah, sure. I mean, we, we, uh, we, we have a, a European program, which is our by far our sort of most popular tours, and that, that runs between, between April and October each year thereabouts and uh you know as part of that we have uh different regions where we'll hold different tours um we have different themes on tours we have one um uh you know part of my passion my, my partner's passion we love uh we love food and wine so we have a, a a tour called beautiful cars and michelin stars uh so this is all about getting some of the, the world's most beautiful cars i mean they don't need to be sports cars they can be rolls royces and bentleys as well but you know, it's it's based in France. That's in in Burgundy. Heads up towards um, you know, through the regions there, beautiful regions into into Champagne. And uh, you know, we 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 stay overnight in beautiful castles and hotels and eat Michelin star dinners. You know, that's uh, you know, that's one of the programs which is, which is getting very popular. Uh, we have a, a, a we love the, the Italy. I mean, when Italy, I think has some of the best drivers' roads. Um, you know, best value as, as far as hotels and food goes and, and wine, of course. And we have two programs, ones around in northern Italy in the Dolomites and she crosses over in, into Austria parts and does the famous Stelvio Pass that you hear about a lot uh, for people into cars. And then we have one down in the Tuscan region, which is my favourite region because Florence is one of our uh, 
most favorite cities in the world. And uh, we spend a lot of time there and we have a, a Tuscan trip, which uh, encompasses, you know, that Tuscan region, beautiful, beautiful, again, beautiful food and wine, but amazing hotels, the roads are stunning. They're not your, your mountain roads, but they're just these beautiful um, back roads and things through these, these wine regions. And then um, our, our, probably our signature tour is, is called um, very, um, boringly named the European Supercar Tour, and this is um, this is sort of our big one each year. And this is four days driving through multi countries. So we'll, we'll we'll pick a country somewhere, uh, you know, in Central South Europe. You, you know, we'll be in Germany and France somewhere like that, or Switzerland, and we'll pick a city, and then we'll spend four days driving the world's best cars um, through the Alps and the Alpine region down to Monaco. Uh, for the the Formula One Grand Prix, where we we charter a, a private super yacht, and we spend three days watching, um, you know, one of the the, the greatest spectacles, uh, well, the greatest events ever, really, which is the Monaco Grand Prix, uh, and and we it, that that's a a seriously uh, crazy event because it's it's you know for the for the guests themselves, where they they spend their four days driving and three days at the Grand Prix, and then you can add on certain things, you know, helicopter trips in and out of Monaco or driving a Formula One car. There's a private circuit a um, couple of hours out of uh, Monaco, which we ch- we we book uh, privately every year and we take a group out there and they'll, they'll drive a, a genuine Formula One car at this circuit. There's a, a French team which has done this for years. And, you know, there's this, it just is the, if you want to hit the bucket lists of bucket lists, you know, everything there, you know, best... Best cars in the world, Monaco Grand Prix, drive a Formula One car, stay in these castles and chalets and things through the Swiss and Austrian and the French Alps. Uh, th- this is the one that that, that was I, I kind of dreamed about as as you know as as I was sort of my teenage years. And did, I didn't even know it existed, kind of thing. But uh, you know, it's kind of like the my dream, <laughs> I guess. And and. You know, in the first year, uh, my partner Julian, we chartered our own super yacht at, at Monaco. We just, it was kind of a pinch yourself moment. I mean, it was just something that we thought couldn't even be possible. And, uh, you know, we, we, we did that for eight years in a row. The last couple of years, obviously, with the pandemic, we, we've, um, we haven't been. But, you know, uh, for next year, 2022, we're um, already nearly, I think that tour is just about sold out. There might be one or two places left, uh, you know, 28 people on, on each leg we do a leg down to monaco then a leg back um doing the same routes but uh, they all meet for the grand prix so yeah that, that's a pretty incredible tour that and that would be our our signature event i guess that we'd uh you know throughout the year are the prices online are they publicly or do do people have to inquire how much does it cost all of the prices are online yeah so uh, so if you go on our, our web page and, and on the driving tours.com you, you can go into each tour and then as you scroll down the page, you can download the the full brochure, which is sort of like an eight to ten page brochure, which which breaks down the pricing. Um, you know, which which we include a um, uh, a level of accommodation and dining, and then you can option that up. You know, you can tick all the boxes if you like and and do all those things. But uh, you know, I guess uh, you know in in terms of uh, in, in Australian dollars, uh, that that tour starts at around twenty eight thousand dollars per person, which is the which is the full ten day tour. So it's a accommodation meals. How how do you? Maybe I'm unrealistic with pricing, but I'm thinking like if you have thirty people and they all pay that, like how isn't like a private 
charter a super yacht isn't that alone like two hundred fifty thousand dollars or something how do you afford i feel like you're losing money somewhere <laughs> well well very kind of you say and and this is the funny thing we we price most of our tours Let, let's talk in us dollars because i know where your listeners from but you know we we would say that most of our tours priced out between sort of 1200 and 2000 us dollars per day maybe maybe up to two and a half thousand um and that's including everything so that's the car hire the insurance the fuel um, all the support, we, we transfer luggage between venues. It includes a, a gold-level uh, accommodation package, which is not the base room. It's, it's, a, it's a nicer room, but, and you can option up from there. Uh, you know, and then we have, we have the different packages available. We have a platinum and, and black-level accommodation and dining package where we will we'll add in all the transfers and all those things as well. But, yeah, generally, we, we, we haven't designed this business to be, you know, it's, it's not a $5,000-plus per day uh, journey. I mean, it's not what what we're about. We want people who who are enthusiasts, but also people who just love luxury journeys. Because we we figure that our pricing um, is very similar to what you would if you were to, to go on a, an ocean liner or a riverboat cruise, and you were to pick a nice room and that kind of thing, or or, or a safari, an African safari, or any other safari, a nice you know uh, something up north or something like that in, in the in the winter type region. This is sort of around about where we're at, and, and I think we're very competitively pricing. And yet, to answer your question about Monaco Grand Prix, I mean, it, it, you're pretty much spot on. About two fifty hundred fifty thousand US dollars. That's what it costs you to, to put a yacht there for the weekend, including everything. You know, your staff and and uh, you know food costs and all those things as well. It can even go higher than that. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a numbers game um, in our business. So you know, you you need to get the numbers to be able to achieve that. When uh, these people um, come, your clients uh, are they allowed to bring their spouses or uh, and ch- children? Like I don't know, I'm, like it's a vacation. Is this like a vacation for one person, or are they allowed to bring someone? Um, because obviously, then the numbers make more sense for them or something. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, look, in the beginning, the the trips were sort of you know from my when 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 I first started you know running these these tours um, about fifteen years ago, it was. Was sort of more of the boys' trip. Let's let's take the boys, go to Europe, and do some driving. Um, I met my, my partner in, in 2012, and and she's been running the business with me since pretty much that period. And you know, we 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 run this business together. We we live and die by it. We we live it. We 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 don't have a home. We're traveling around the world all the time. I mean, I mean, uh, we're in uh, Houston, Texas, right now, which which uh, feels like one of our international sort of homes where we stay we stay with with friends here who are very lovely people and you know and then they work with us in the business too so you know we feel at home here but we definitely um we definitely feel that uh the business itself um you know we need to ensure that uh you know uh, you know our, our clients sort of feel that uh you know they can bring it's something they can bring their partners to because you know, you, you achieve certain things in life and, you know, it, it, it's not easy. I mean, as you would know and your listeners would know that, uh, you know, you pretty much put all of your life into something, doing something great. And that's, that is whether or not you have a partner that stays at home and brings up the children, if you have children or, or he or she, um, uh, they just support you throughout that. And then when it comes time to enjoy what you've built and what you've achieved, uh, I, th- I really feel like you need to do that together. And I'm, I, it's, it's really wonderful that now 
we we pretty much design and create all of our all of our trips around around couples. And not to say that individuals can't come and people can't come on their own, but we we create them around um, couples. And it's funny, even with Monaco Grand Prix, you sort of think they're you know the and we get groups of guys going, you know, two, four, six guys that are friends or lifelong friends and things, and they do it together. And then, you know, one of the things they always say is, this, oh, God, I kind of wish I'd put my wife, <laughs> you know, because they know that, that, that she, would, she would love that, you know. So th- this is the thing. I think that, uh, you know, these, um, this trip, it's really nice to be part of this business and, and uh, where we were having uh, the people bring their, bring their partners and experience it together. And, and enjoy it because you know our, our guests they, they they've travelled you know they're they're not it's not their first time travelling you know for well, some of them maybe but for most of them they've they've kind of done everything we like to say you know our, our, they've done all the big the big things they've done the Paris and New York and Rome and Greek islands and the Maldives and done all those sort of journeys where they're really you know you do it as as a couple and you eat at nice restaurants and you go and see the museums and all those things but. This is a group trip, so it's a little bit different. So you're you're immersed in this group, and funnily enough, you know, as you get older, you realise that, you know, you have a smaller circle of friends, but uh, they meet all these people who are exactly the same as them. They're exactly the same. They've worked hard. They've achieved great things. All they've got money to do things, but what they don't have so much, um, other than the material things, is the experiences, and that's what we. Uh, we really love creating because we have these amazingly successful people who who come and say to us, say, hey guys, that that was the best thing I've ever done in my life or that was the great, you know, the most amazing journey or trip that a holiday I've ever had, you know, and that's 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 so cool for us uh, to have people say that and that, that really, really drives us, I guess. So, yeah, to answer your questions, yeah, you, you can come as an individual. That's no problem. Um, we... We try and pair everyone. Well, we pair the drivers together. So on on one of our group tours, um, we have two drivers together, and that's obviously partners if they're coming together, or if oh, they're so individuals. They're like bonding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so um, you know, in the, the the tours are sort of split up. So you you in a group. So you would drive every vehicle over a certain amount of days. Um, and you swap with your co-driver. If, if your co-driver is a driver, if they're if they're coming as a driver or they're just, you know, someone who's coming along for the ride, I guess, if they're a, your non-driving partner as well. So, yeah, that's, that's, uh, say about that. Uh, so many questions popped up. I, I love the story you just shared. Um, I think the first question comes back to, I guess, the event management stuff because I, I see you're getting so much satisfaction, getting all the joy from, from creating those experiences. Obviously, we've organized our event, and and I can I can imagine like what we experience with the startups you experience over ten days. So it must be crazy. Um, but going a bit deeper into it, so I, when I go online, there are so many booking agents. Uh, when you go to the luxury segment, there are few of them, and all of them boast this amazing experience. Um, if I go to, from my personal experience, um, American Express, um, I, I used to have the Centurion card, the black one, uh, and their thing is like, this is the number one, they can arrange everything and they share all those crazy stories. <laughs> my experience was not at all that. Uh, the lady literally, my personal assistant at the time, not that she was a lovely lady, but couldn't arrange anything. Uh, <laughs> 
my team at my work could arrange stuff faster and better than like this supposed to be super luxurious service um the number one thing that kept popping up when she was arranging stuff is that she could only book through the american express system and even there it was usually with uh, certain restaurants or hotels that would put their own uh, luxury clients or platinum member clients or whatever it was called first so we were always like second tier even though it was centurion so i guess my question then is how do you do stuff like that like how do you get a formula one experience um with that while being in australia uh not being not having grown up in monaco and not knowing like the inside like how do you even start when you want to create an experience like that and why are you better than centurion <laughs> <laughs> oh, well it's, it's a good question it's funny with the centurion card because we, we we actually do do uh we are speaking to american express in in, in different continents actually um the the platinum i can connect you with the the black people in the netherlands (laughs) well the platinum and and the centurion card people but yeah look i I understand where where you're coming from you know i think that the the difference with us is that we you know we we're out there sort of on the ground and you know i guess that those those connections come from just being uh, being a part of it you know and actually being being there and actually making those bookings i think that um you know we're, we're quite specific with what we do we definitely don't get the greatest deals in hotels and things, for example, because we're only booking sometimes for a small group. You know, it might be eight to ten rooms at a time. So, by no means are we are we getting the the very best rates, and we don't generally tend to work like that either. Because you know, a lot of these, I think the problem is with a lot of these companies, and, and you know, putting American Express aside, um, you know, these these high end travel um, concierge companies and things, which seem to pop up a lot. My my main concern is that they all they all they seem to do is just take a clip on the on the booking fee. You know they just take a commission, and you know and and like you said, they don't actually organise anything themselves. And you know, look, they make the connections and they make a few phone calls and things. But you know, there's nothing um, that what we do which is magical. It's it's just it's doing the hard yards. It's making the calls. It's it's sometimes having the arguments with the hotels going back and forth and finding out to get the deal that you want and you know and actually and actually being there like the you know the formula 1 school i mean we you know when i first went uh, i went with a friend and we booked it we just booked it to, to go and do it ourselves and we um, and we loved it and we thought this this is something we can bring our our clients to you know so that's kind of how we started on on that journey and then over the years um, yeah we we made all the mistakes Kind of like putting the boat in Monaco. I mean, first year was just you know so stressful and so difficult to do it, and you're you're finding out things along the way, and it actually you know it probably cost us money, you know, and that's that's the other thing too. If if you're not prepared to, to go in there and just just get it get it done no matter what, even if it in the events business as well. I mean, even if it the first year or two it even costs you money to run it, then I, I you know it's it, you're not serious about doing it you know no one's gonna like we talk about the business you can't just you know get a business going and get it to, to to a certain level just just straight away straight out of the blocks you need to spend um you know years building it and figuring it out and you know and, and uh getting all the processes and systems in place and things and i think that's um definitely where we're at you know we 
we have our team who, who you know goes back and forth with the hotels we want and different things like that that uh, yeah there's there's no um, there's no sort of uh, I wish there was a phone number I could call you know where it's someone who's got all the connections and things you know but you know we we uh, we go and and meet people we go and we go and catch up with people in person you know and go and have dinner with people now throughout the pandemic uh, Julie and I my partner and I we spent you know three or four months in Europe traveling around seeing all of our partners and our suppliers and going and listening to their stories and uh, you know sometimes having a, a shoulder to cry on or and vice versa about you know how tough it was was at that time you know and and just just being there and and uh, just just being a part of it we wanted to stand with them as well and I think that's uh, that's part of it as well you know and people people remember that and we, we forged excellent relationships not the reason we did it but it's just uh, one of the things we wanted to do we, we didn't want to sit back in Australia and just say well we'll, we'll, we'll come back when we're when it's all good and we can travel again you know so th- this is something that um, you know it does does take some time uh, you know to, to build these relationships with people and and now, for example, say Monaco, there, there's certain people I can call. Uh, I can't, you know, I'd love to be able to call the, the prince <laughs> for something and get some special privileges. Uh, I haven't had a chance to, to meet him <laughs> at this point, but uh, maybe in the future. But uh, definitely, uh, you know, you need to learn by doing and, um, and, and just being there and, and making the, the mistakes along the way. That is a very interesting answer. Um... I guess I wanted to ask this question a bit later, but we're here already um, regarding innovating in tough times. Um, How did you, I guess multiple questions around this topic because it's a 15 year old business. Have you had tough times in the past? I can imagine around 2008, maybe you experienced something. Uh, and, And now how did you innovate? How did you get through it? Especially being in the hospitality business, which I feel gets hit always hardest when these times come. Um, could you share some of the stories there? Yeah, sure. Well, actually, the, funnily enough, I mean, the, incorporated the business in 2007. So that's our sort of, you know, I mean, our 15th year. So 2008, yeah, it was, it was a bit scary because we thought, well, GFC, what's going to happen? Are people going to be, everyone going to lose all their money? No one can do these, you know, the, you know definitely where we're, at, at that end of the scale where it's 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 definitely a um you know that that sort of spend where you don't need to you know go on holiday you know it's one of the first things that that stops in terms of the spending but um yeah look that that was tough but on the on the other side uh what came from it was um people sort of started to realize again hey you know what life's short and you know i can lose some of my money and some of my wealth but um you know, I need to go and experience life and experience these things. And now the, the hardest period obviously has been the last 18 months where, you know, we got to the end of 2019. We had a great season. Uh, we did trade shows uh, at, in um, 2019 in New York. Uh, we did, sorry, did Vegas in October. We did New York in December. And then we did uh, LA in February 2020, 2020. So we were in LA when things were starting to go down and, uh, yeah, we'd spent decent money or a lot of money on on we employed a publicist. Um, all all these things, you know, where you you spending on the next what the next couple of years are going to look like because, you know, that's that's you have to be looking forward all the time. And then the pandemic hit, and uh, 
you know, we, uh, we spent six months, uh, you know, talking to clients about how much we're going to refund, how much we're going to credit, um, all of those things. And one of the things that came from that and, and that I'm incredibly proud of is, is the way that we conducted ourselves throughout that period, because at no point, um, did any of our guests or clients, um, not, not receive either a refund or a credit at no point did, uh, anyone not contacted to, to tell them what was happening. We worked with um, their insurers to try and get insurance back where we could. Um, anyone we couldn't get insurance back, we credited them or refunded them. Uh, we, uh, you know, it, it was a really tough period because, you know, it's, it's not on these events, they take sometimes a year plus to organize and you're securing things a year out. And that's one of the other things you need to do that uh, your, your concierge company won't do is they won't pay a hotel deposit a year out for 20 rooms that they haven't sold. <laughs> you know, this is what we're doing, you know, it's crazy. So, you know, we, we were lucky. We got good support from the Australian government um, in terms of the, you know, um, helping with salaries and some grants, which, which was great. And even, even in our German business, we got some, some support there from the German government. So, you know, look, everyone kicked in, uh, even our staff, kicked in we, we reduced hours of everyone uh where we needed to um and everyone just just got got behind us and a lot of it was just the emotional support that that we needed uh which which, which definitely was helping you know, a lot of clients and guests that reached out to us and you know and and said even said things like uh, you know what hold on to the money i know you we're good we're going to get there you know all that which which definitely helped and it sort of showed that uh, level of trust that we have um that with with the people that that know us and and um, you know look there were there were difficult difficult conversations we had to have with people who didn't understand you know that why they couldn't get their all of their money back and things like that but that's, this this is a conversation that's going on with a lot of people around the world but now as as we're waking up I mean we've just had our biggest month ever uh, this month of October in terms of inquiries I had nearly four times the amount of inquiries that we've ever had uh, our tours are filling up for next year it's it's looking really amazing for us so i think yeah we, with with anything that goes on the tough times uh there's there's that light at the end of the tunnel you have to keep focused on because if you don't uh you can you can really do it tough mentally and i think this is the problem with with the pandemic um, especially people in in our industry in, in tourism and hospitality like you said that a lot of people weren't didn't have that mental um, strength to get through and I really feel for them I'm not saying that's a bad thing but I, I really felt for them as well because I, I saw it um, you know I, I actually um, am involved with a, a couple of restaurants back in Sydney Australia that I, that I sort of started with with a business partner uh, another another business about another 15 years ago um, so uh, but we, you know so in our restaurants really did well just on the strength of my business partner who he he runs them I haven't, I haven't been involved with them for years now other than just looking at the numbers every now and again but he he had the mental toughness to say yeah, I'm I'm going to I'm going to kick ass through this I'm going to I'm going to be able to, you know change the process and we're going to do takeaways and things and and he did you know and this is this is what we had that decision to make and uh Geez, there, there were dark days, you know, in, in, in back in early 2020 where we just thought, this is it, you know, we're, we're, we've spent all these years creating this business and, and we're, we're now back to square one, if that, and even if we get through, we're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to owe a lot of money and, uh, you know, but 
yeah, you, you just need to you need to keep driving through, I guess. Uh, you know, and that that's 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 what we've done. So yeah, so that, that that's probably our biggest challenge uh, from year to date. We we did a um, and I think this is how we came your attention. We did a small capital raise uh, early this year, uh, which raised about eight hundred and fifty thousand Australian dollars. Uh, Congratulations! Uh, yeah, so which was great, and it was really more of a um, biggest feeling I got from that is that. Look, people realise that this is not an investment that, you know, was going to make money straight away. This is a longer term investment. You know, this is something that they 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 looked at us. Some 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 of the people that put money in didn't know us. A lot of them were guests and previous clients as well, which was amazing. Um, but some people didn't know us, and uh, you know, I really uh, it was really amazing to see that people go look looked at us without knowing anything about us and go, hey, this looks great. I'm just going to put. A small amount because it was a crowdsource funding type raise, which um, was kind of interesting for us. And you know, obviously, this this kind of thing is building up now. And uh, you know, we had to all do it by the book, um, of course, through the financial rules and the um, the Australian Securities and Exchange Commission in Australia. So you had to. Um, it was a lot of um, legal and accounting side that needed to be to be done as well. But uh, you know, we we uh, yeah we we were. We, it was really a nerve-wracking thing to do to kind of open up the, the doors and say, hey, this is, what, this is us, this is what we've done. And uh, if you come along for a, a ride with us in the next few years, this is what we're going to do and this is going to be pretty amazing. And, yeah, that was, um, you know, the, the level of support we got, even just people that, you know, maybe, some, maybe they thought, well, you know, I'm just going to give this a, a shot, you know, a punt is what we call it in Australia, you know, we'll... We'll have, a, we'll have an attempt at this and just see what happens. And that was really cool as well because, uh, you know, those people are going to, you know, hopefully see a, a great return. And that's what we're, we're focused on for all of our um, investors. Even We even had staff that, that bought in too, which was just uh, very heartwarming. And, uh, you know, for, for us, it was uh, that level of support was amazing. So we were, um, we, it, it, really did, it really did keep us going, um, you know, throughout the last 18 months or so. I think uh, a lot of that, as I'm having this conversation with you, obviously comes from, comes from the top down. The vibe that you have, I think, like I feel it when I see some of the videos on your website or I read uh, the copy that is written. So um, you, you guys definitely deserve it. Um, I guess my question, if I go a little bit deeper than in, into how you guys came up with it, uh, why did you decide to go for this crowdsourcing? Um, was this something, why not, I guess my question is why give up, because I think you guys were giving up equity, um, why give up equity, why not just get more clients or, you know, why go this route, how did it even pop up in your mind, this seems to me like a very tech um, way of growing a business and obviously we're in hospitality, so my question then is how did it even come up in your mind to do it and what was the process there? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I, I listened to a podcast. I listened to a series of investment podcasts, and um, you know, they were, they were speaking to the the CEO about this business that um, that we end up going with. And I, I I liked what they were trying to build and and create. It wasn't like a Kickstarter thing where you know it's this is an idea. Um, you know, our business had been running and it had runs on the board, so to speak. We already had the you know we we. We knew what we were doing. Um, obviously, um, we're a business that originally started out 
and we say 15 years, but really the first five, six years were me just kind of playing around with it, I guess, you know, and just sort of seeing what worked and what didn't and maybe getting a, going on one, a trip a year, you know, for, for, for myself type thing. But, you know, realistically, you know, the last sort of you know, at least five, six years when it's become a serious business, uh, we knew we had something which, which was just going to, to go well and we knew we had, um, we had that, that client love which was really showing that we were, we were onto a good thing here. We, we really know what we're doing. Our guests love what we do. We've just got to get to that next level. And when we thought about how over the years a lot of guests had sort of pulled us aside and uh, who'd become friends or otherwise and said, hey, do, where are you going with this? Do you need some help? Do you need some, you know, investment? All those sort of things. And we, we thought about it for a long time, you know, obviously. And, and obviously, you know, end of 2019, early in 2020, when the pandemic hit, it was kind of, well, wow, this is um, something we may actually need rather than just, you know, uh, want type thing. But, you know, we'd always intended to do it. And giving up the equity isn't, isn't a scary thing for me. And I don't think it should be for, for any entrepreneur that wants to run a business because you need people um, that have that, can't just have your skin in the game. You know, you need other people who are vested in your business who want to see it succeed. I mean, some of our um, investors, we, we have a, an advisory board as well, made up of some of who are investors, some who are not. But, um, you know, that advisory board, they're, they all, they're all people who want to see us do well and, and want to help us. And, you know, by opening up the investment to a number of people, I think we have about 85 investors all, all up, all together, individuals. Uh, uh, I just saw it as a, one, I saw it as, as a way that people can get involved from a, from a, a very small level. We, I think the minimum was 250. I don't think we'd have very, very many $250 investors, but there's a couple there. Um, but even at that level, they, they, they're an owner. They're an owner of this business. And I really like the feeling of that. You know, it's kind of like when you buy shares or, or anything. No, you're, you're an owner of a, a business, right? And you invest, you know, want to see them do well. And you know, even that $250 owner, they tell their friends about it. And they say, hey, I've just I've a small investment in this really cool company. And it's doing these things. And we give them quarterly updates. And they can follow that. And I, I really love that idea, you know, because I think this is where... Um, it's, it's, it's the way the world is, is going to an extent. I mean, we, when we travel, we, we use Airbnbs, you know, where we use someone's house or apartment. Or there's a, a platform in the US called Turo, which is like an Airbnb for cars. And so we rent, you know, I, I really love that idea, you know, that, uh, you know, it's kind of like what we do as well. You come and you drive the cars and all these things and it, it's shared around as well. And I think that, uh, you know, from the investment level in the business where people have, have put these this, this money in and they've got a piece of equity, um, you know, I, I've, you know, I, I think that's 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 great to have people along the journey with you uh, from the support from the very small to the very large shareholders and, you know, and, and then um, being able to sort of show, bring them on the journey with us as well. And uh, yeah, that they have a piece of it. That's, that's absolutely amazing. And it just, it, it, it got us a step up um, where we just would have taken maybe a couple of years or a few years to, to get that step up. So it's accelerated us. Uh, we're, we're, we're able to use some of that money. Uh, we're looking at a number of things uh, with the money that was raised. Um, you know, we've already sort of start to implement that on a lot of systems and back end and training staff and uh, new staff members as well, but also um, 
you know, to, to, to bring down some of our um, cost of goods sold in terms of buying certain motor vehicles, uh, which we haven't yet. We're, st we're doing a lot of research on that as well. And obviously now that the sort of gates are starting to open around the world, we can look at that because next year we're going to need, uh, we're going to need that. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, so there was no uh, thought from us that, you know, maybe it was a little bit scary to um, maybe just, just open the, the financials to people, but uh, you know, in terms of people having a share of it, not not a, not an issue at all. I like that. Um, so many questions popped up. Um, you can keep the answer short to this ones because they're maybe not as interesting. But you mentioned the advisory board. Do you actually give equity or yearly fees for the people on the advisory board, or they're just voluntarily advisory board? Yeah, so three out of the five are shareholders and the other two aren't, or out of the six, I think. But um, no, they're right now, they're, they're just on an advisory board. They're there to support us. Um, I think that from the uh, remuneration point of view, we'll, we'll talk about at some point um, them getting a level with uh, whether it's a, a discount on the tools because a lot of them are guests as well or um, previous clients, but also, um, you know, in, in terms of, um, them being remunerated, uh, no, there's 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 none of that officially done right now. But that but we have got um, a, an ESOP employee share offer program as well that we're we're putting in place that that we may offer shares to them at well at some stage. How do you um, choose and maybe use your advisory board so that you can share with the listeners of this podcast? Yeah, I think well. I had, I had some really good discussions with a really good friend of mine who's a who started off as a guest. He was on a very first tour in 2008, and he's been on four or five since, and brought his wife and family and things. And you know, he's become a very close friend. And and this guy is is um, the the chairman of one of Australia's biggest companies as well, and uh, obviously a very intelligent guy. And we we just had a pretty open discussion because I said, hey, how do I how do I use these guys, and you know, what do I do, you know, type thing? Because it is kind of a bit scary when you start off. But really, it's sometimes it's just a text message or a WhatsApp or a, you know, or an email. Say, so, hey, what what do you think of this? Should we do this or not? Or you know, we're thinking about this. Um, you, you know, the last few months uh, we've been traveling pretty um, pretty flat out. You know, we've had uh, tours in Tuscany and. Um, our self-drive program, which is a new program we rolled out this year, has, has been really popular. So we've we've been in Europe running that up until this point, and now we've got um, a couple of those running here in the US. So we're here doing that. But um, you know, I think that moving forward, yeah, it'd be as simple as that. I mean, there's a quarterly um, uh, advisory board meeting that we have, which is an online, which we've only we've only just started that. We've only did one of those um, last quarter, so the next one's due uh, towards in the next month or so. But um, yeah, I think that uh, you've you've got to use you've got to be able to utilize them, and 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 the, whether it's for some advice or support or just a question, whether it's a, you know, and some I said as I said to my friend, I said, oh, well, I just what if I ask something stupid? And he said, well, don't don't be afraid of that. I mean, just just ask it, you know, because it's um you know the people here want to support you, and I think that's um what you think of when you when you put together an advisory board, just people who. They want to support you, but also want to challenge you as well. You know, you know that they're not going to be a pushover if you, if you have a, a crazy idea. You know, um, you know, one of the things we, we wanted to buy a car a month or so ago, and we just thought, oh, is it the right time? We didn't really know what was going to happen with traveling at that point. It was that two months ago, but we knew we could use it this year and things. And then 
It was just a question of do we use that capital to 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 you to, to buy that car now or do we wait is the car going to go up or down in value and things because it's some crazy things happening with motor vehicles around the world right now in terms of values um you know whether it's the chip shortage for new vehicles or the used car market going crazy um you know it's, it's really really hard so you know we, we had questions like that where i just i spoke to three or four of the advisory and just got their advice and uh you know we got the right advice i think at the time you know so there's um there's those things that that help but uh, yeah just just knowing that, that that supports there is is something which um which is great for for um someone like myself. I like that. Uh, maybe another one of those short questions. I think you mentioned at one point you guys are incorporated in Germany. Can I ask why Germany? Why not the Netherlands or Ireland? Because I feel like those are the the tax havens in, in Europe or something like why Germany? Uh, very good question. Two, two, two um, main answers to that. One is that we met a, a guy, a German guy on a Mercedes event. Mercedes invited us a few years ago to do a um, event with them with some classic cars we were talking about. And uh, one of the guys involved in the publicity or the marketing company behind that, uh, we got to know really well and um, we really liked him and we started talking to him about the business and uh, you know, when we, we needed a European hub, we needed a operations business um, for a lot of reasons from, from VAT through to just uh, running the business in Europe. And uh, he has a business in, in Stuttgart in Germany and uh, we liked him and we got on well, we trusted him and we, we, uh, we started the business there with him as a director. The other side is that Germany is the biggest car market in Europe. Um, so most, most cars sold, um, used car market and new. Um, the tax system there is very um, stable um, and the financial system there, very stable as well because Germany, um, probably the strongest in the EU in terms of their monetary system. And, you know, there's a lot of rules in Germany, which is, uh, you know, uh, sometimes a bit, uh, one of the funny stories is when we, when we incorporated the company, they had to read us the constitution, which took about two and a half hours in, in German, which we don't speak German, but um, they had to read it because that's the rule there. You have to read it out loud. <laughs> um, so that was that was kind of interesting sitting in a room there and uh, um, you know getting getting that read to us. But uh, yeah, so that that's that's the reason for Germany. And so the German business is, is becomes an operational hub for us. So that owns our motor vehicles. Um, it uh, books. Um, staff things there. It uh, it has you know storage costs, and if we you know we we own a trailer, we actually do own some motor vehicles there. We own a, an SUV and a trailer and some um, luxury vans as well that we've got a lease deal through Mercedes. And to do that, you have to have the German entity. So there, there's there's a lot of advantages to Germany. The tax side is sure. I mean, there's there's, there's places where more favourable for tax. You know, um, you know from Luxembourg to Switzerland or other places, but um, you know, th this makes the most sense from a um, operational point of view to be in Germany. And then maybe a, a question that we were slowly covering as we talked about equity. Um, I feel like in the beginning, as you were building this business up until the story that you said with uh, the pandemic hitting, uh, you guys were very focused on the clients, the experience of the clients. It almost felt from the stories that I heard from you that your margins were very thin. Um, has the pandemic kind of shifted your thinking? Are you now more looking into actually buying up things like you were mentioning cars and just to get out as many 
variable costs as possible, like all the rental insurances that probably for 10 days on a Lamborghini can be super expensive, I can imagine. Um, are you guys shifting towards that mindset where you own more or are you still doing it project by project? Yeah, I mean, that, that's always been the mindset. Uh, for a given example, w we have a storage container in Nice, um, which is just outside of Monaco, which is filled with, I mean, we have a pizza oven and a barbecue and umbrellas and uh, alcohol we didn't drink and uh, a paella maker, you know, like just crazy stuff. It's a container filled with stuff, but we use it every year for the Monaco Grand Prix. And if we didn't buy that, you, you pretty much you're renting it for the price of what you buy it for. Oh, there's, there's three TVs in there, like three flat screen, huge 50 inch TVs, there's TV stands, there's uh, um, cushions, <laughs> I think, you know, like crazy stuff. So yeah, that, that that's in a business where you, you're paying for the same things all the time. You need to be smart about it. And, um, you know, for the, for the cost of cost us of two or three grand to have a container there for the year. But, you know, we've got 15,000 euros worth of gear in there that we'd have to buy every year if we didn't. So, you know, there's those things. But, you know, definitely with the cars, yeah, that, that's the idea that, um, you know, in areas where we're using um, vehicles over and over again, um, it comes a point and we, we, we think it's, a, it's only about sort of five or, five or four or five, between four and six events per year where the vehicle actually pays for itself and it pays for itself as in the cost of money, the depreciation, insurance, servicing, all those things which you have to take into account. It does not take into account any damages you might incur and other things. So it's definitely a numbers game in the events business, um, you know, numbers in terms of how many tours you run, how many clients you have on each one, all of that. So yeah, that that's um, and that's that that's hard because you know do you put the the cart before the horse or not? You know what what comes first. But uh, yeah, we're that that's been our mindset for the last couple of years. And having been involved in a few businesses like that, um, you know, I've been involved in office office equipment, photocopiers, and computers and things where I've, I've rented them out. The hotels and things back, uh, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s and around the Olympics and things in Sydney and, uh, you know, understanding that that uh, makes sense to own own some equipment where you can, you know, you can make, um, you know, you can ensure that it's, um, you, you get a return on it if you utilise them. What was the first thing you bought, like really bought for the, for, um, the tour, the ultimate driving tour? Uh, I, I think we've, we've got a, um, like a, an SUV, a, a Porsche Cayenne in, in Germany. And, and that's, that's, we, we use that, uh, six months of the year, you know, whether it's on tour or we use it to travel. Cause what, um, my partner and I are realizing is we go to Europe and we'd be there for, you know, maybe between two and four months a year and we'd rent a car all the time. And then, you know, you look at how much it costs you per year and the, for what it costs us, we knew we bought a secondhand car. It's three, four years old. You know, it's just a, you know, it's nothing too special. You know, but it's a big SUV. We put all our gear in it. We pretty much live out of it when we're there in Europe. But uh, for what it costs us three years ago, I mean, it's paid for itself already. If if we're renting it over, you know, maybe twice over. So you know that that's that's probably the probably the one larger purchase we've made. Um, which should have happened a few years ago. But, uh, yeah, when we've got leases with Mercedes-Benz with a couple of very nice luxury vans, we're looking to expand on that for next year and, and get a third van as well as some other cars through there as well. And then, you know, the uh, it, it, you know look, from, from a, the boyhood sense of 
you know, excitement of buying your first, you know, very expensive motor vehicle that that will come, you know, and and, and on one hand, there's a sense of trepidation about that. It's, is this the right thing? And we what are we doing? <laughs> is this crazy? But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be pretty cool to have those. And I think you've, you've got to take those fun things out of any, any job, you know, like, yeah, look, we from the from the outset, if you look at what we do and look at our website and it looks, it, it's pretty cool, uh, absolutely. But, you know, the work goes behind that is huge, but you've got to take those small days where you, you know, as you said, you, you, as they say, you just got to stop and smell the roses at times and go, you know what, this is actually pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> who, who decides, the, who's the car guy? Like who decides which cars get to go on the trip? Is it something that the clients can request? Um, maybe, for instance, why did you decide the Porsche Cayenne? Uh, I feel like there are different SUVs that fit more, maybe are more luxurious, stuff like, stuff like that. Like who decides the cars? Do you have like a Fast and Furious car guy who decides all the cars in movies? <laughs> it's a good question, but the, uh, this, is, this is the only decision that I have that, that, uh, that rests on me. This is, this, is, uh, this is the only call that I can make, which I get to overrule everyone. <laughs> and uh, you know what I mean? It's because uh, my, my, my partner and I, um, you know, we, we run the business together. So, uh, you know, I, I, I pretty much do what I'm told most of the times. But with cars, no, I, I, get, I get the final say on the, on the car. We, we, get, to, we get to buy or, or drive or whatever. And you know, obviously, we get all the opinions and things and have to make the right decision. But, uh, you know, on each tour, it's, it's um, definitely on our group tours, we have a selection of cars. And the whole, the whole idea, it's kind of, at one point, we call it a degustation of driving. You know, is, you know when you go to a fine dining and you have, you know, 13 courses of all little things, you get to try everything. Um, that's pretty much what it is on our tours. You know, you get to drive all the cars. So, you know, you might think that the Ferraris and Lamborghinis, the Italian cars are the, not the best cars because they're the most wild and the fastest and all those things. But until you've driven an Audi R8 or a um, Porsche 911 Turbo or an Aston Martin DB11, you know, you, you, you don't know because, you know, you, you think one's the best, but then you drive another one, you go, hang on, that, that car's really good, you know, and that's, there's a lot of vehicles out there now by manufacturers that, like not a lot, that most of these high-end vehicles are excellent to drive. They're very, very good. And the traditional value of the Ferrari and Lamborghini are the best. It's been challenged now. It's been challenged by Porsche and Audi and Mercedes um, and even some of these other brands and Aston Martin and Jaguar and things. And, you know, the idea is to, to drive these different cars. Definitely if you, uh, we have a, a new uh, product, it's called our, our self-guided or self, self-drive driven tours where you choose a car and you, you, we plan everything for you. We plan the accommodation and the stops and where you might eat and all those things. But, you know, you get to choose your car that you're going to have for that week. But you've got to, just, you've got to have a think about, well, what about luggage and what about... Um, Drivability and where am I going with it? And we 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 offer a lot of advice with that as well. Um, you know, we we have a, a, a tour next week starting next couple of weeks starting in California, and it's our first Californian tour. And the, and the guest has never driven a Ferrari before, and 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 the, her and her husband have decided on a on a Ferrari convertible. You know, and they've never driven one, and you know, we spoke about the luggage space and all those things. But they're, they're so excited about this Ferrari, which I, I love because. You know that's that's what excites you. We'll, we'll make that happen. Um, 
but yeah, de definitely the, the the beauty of the the group tours is you'll get to drive a lot of different cars, and sometimes the car you think you're going to love disappoints you, you know, and sometimes it it doesn't, you know. So it's uh it's really cool to see that, and we we um, we spend a bit of time chatting with the group and having a lot of fun with our guests on, you know, what's the best car, why is it, and the best thing about a car conversation like that is it's not politics or religion or anything like that it's it's there's no right or not that there's right or wrong answers there either but there really is no if you say oh the ferrari something is the best car ever made then yeah you might be right but you're probably wrong <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't let ferrari know that <laughs> but i i saw an article the other day of how many uh how how fast they sue people if you do one thing wrong with a ferrari oh really okay <laughs> um but anyways um let's not go into the politics of ferrari um i think we're kind of like coming to the end wrapping it up but i have a an important question that i think a lot of event managers people who we have a lot of startups that organize their own kickoff events that kind of stuff um how do you find people or maybe not nowadays maybe you don't want to share the nowadays but like how did you find people in the beginning for something so exclusive abroad yeah well the, the first going back to the first tour that i ran it was i, I had i had a, i had the business already which was my rally business in australia which i had a database so you know these people knew me they knew that that you know i was involved and, and it was a good event and they loved it and you know, I really put it out to to those people, but also had a, a friend of mine, really, one of my very good friends in Australia who runs track days and other sort of driving events. And I, I went to him and I said, hey, I want to do this in Europe. If you can help me fill it out with some of your clients and put it out to your guests as well, um, you know, I'll pay for you to come along and we'll, we'll run this together and, you know, we'll have a lot of fun and we'll get to drive Formula One car and all those things. So, you know, that that's how it that's how it pretty much started um, you know just going out to a, a smaller database of, of people and and building from there and it's really um, as you know it's been an interesting you know because if you look at the you know the last 15 years or so what's happened just with Google or Facebook and other just finding people through there I mean it's um, it's either more easy or more difficult. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, your, your head starts spinning because you're trying different companies to try different strategies. And then all it's all about now getting them to your website and getting them involved and then leading them through to an inquiry or, you know, other just more traditional sides of just, just following up people that, um, timely and um, getting back to people and having a chat to people about what they want to do and taking them through a journey and, getting to understand what you do as well because there's a lot of information out there. So, you know, really it, it's no sort of short answer. I mean, obviously, the, you know, orig originally it started very organically. You know, we'd, uh, you know, I, I would go out to somewhere and I'd be at dinner and I'd be introduced to someone and they'd say, oh, Anthony does this and tell them about it. And they go, that sounds amazing. How do I, how can I come and do it? You know, and I've, I've sold tours to people that I've just met. And I remember I was at a a, a pop-up restaurant with my business partner in the restaurants and we knew the chef and then we sat on this table sat next to this lady and told her she asked me about what I did and I told her she said mate I want to I want to book it for my husband for his birthday and she did you know it was sort of that's how that's how the the promotion was done you got to talk to people but I, I I went and joined clubs and associations I did talks at um breakfast networking meetings and things I just felt that I had a I had a, a this product that um 
people wanted to know about and it was it was cool you know and whether or not um this was for you or not you might listen to my story or or know what we've got to offer and go and tell someone that that really could go and either afford to do it or, or want to do it as well so that's sort of my idea and i think that for any business owner that's got a great idea uh you got you got to be out there talking about it to whoever you can you know whenever you can so um you know i said whether you're a you know in a, in a forum where you you've got a lot of listeners or you've got a database or something like that yeah i mean that that's great but if you don't just be out there talking to people about it all the time and uh and if if you're good at what you do and it's it's a you know it's that sort of offer is interesting then you you'll you know you'll you'll get people you know and that's and that's really is as simple or as difficult as you as you want to sort of think about it. I love how uh, with your easygoing personality, you've shown that getting like clients, sales, you know, all of that can be just a good experience when you have a good product. I think that's uh, also a great way to kind of close off the story. Uh, but before I do, I want to kind of roll out the red carpet for you. Is there anything that you'd like to share? Where can people find you? If people are interested in booking something, where can they go? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the website, ultimatedrivingtours.com, we've got a lot of uh, a lot of things up there, not from just the, the brochures and the tour things as well, but all of our videos and blogs and, and everything. I mean, obviously our social channels um, through Instagram and uh you know, Twitter, not so much, but Facebook, uh, definitely, there's a lot of client testimonials and things there. So, you know, I, I, I would say anyone that's interested, that doesn't really know what we doesn't get a sense of what we do wants to get a feeling is to go and, you know, watch a few of those sort of testimonials or, or videos. Um, if you search just ultimate driving tools on the web, and go to the video button, you'll find a heap of videos that we've done because we video every tour, we bring a professional photographer, and videographer on every one of our tours. So, Everything we've we've done has been up there, and we've we've worked actually with brands like Ferrari and Lamborghini to create experiences for them as well. So you know, there's a lot of things up there what we do. So yeah, jump on there, and then I'm I'm easily uh, searchable on the internet, whether it's uh, ultimatedrivingtours.com or or through LinkedIn or anything like that. So uh, you know, happy to take any questions from anyone that. Uh, might want to be looking at starting a business or uh, had any sort of questions, uh, you know, time is one something I don't always have a lot of, but, uh, you know, al always happy to help out where, where I can. Any last thoughts for our listeners? Um, well, you know, without sounding a little bit too of a dreamer, but, you know, I, I would just say dream big, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta have the, the big goals, you know, if, if you don't have that, you know, huge target, then uh, you, you've really, uh, you've got to be working towards something and, uh, you know, but you've got to put the work in. And this is, this is the thing where I just, it's, I struggle sometimes with the entrepreneurial mindset when back when I was an entrepreneur in the late 90s, early 2000s, had my own business, it was kind of like the, the last job you know it's because you were unemployable everywhere else and now it's kind of like this exciting amazing thing to be an entrepreneur uh you know an entrepreneur just has failed at most things and uh you know and and, and then found something that works hopefully but maybe they maybe they're they're close to something as well close to getting something that works but um you know keep keep at it i mean it really sounds 
sounds too easy, but there's no easy answer as well. There's no easy way to do it. I mean, there's, um, you know, you just, just keep, keep working at it, make, create something that, uh, that people are going to love and, and work hard at it. I love that. And on that note, thank you so much for uh, being on and hopefully I'll see you in the future. Thanks very much, Leva. Appreciate it. If you like this episode, you can check out our most recent one here. And if you haven't already, make sure you click here to subscribe and see the next one. But if you're interested in more tips and tricks, then make sure to join our Facebook group where you can find thousands of like-minded people and you get direct access and support to any business question from the entire startup funding event team.